Our gracious Heavenly Father, we want to thank You tonight, Lord, for all that You've done for us. And we thank You, Father, that uh, You have provided a choice, that uh, You didn't leave us to just go with the course of this world to the uh, in the direction it's headed to the end uh, for which it is uh, toward which it is speeding along, Father. But You gave us a choice. You gave us the freedom to make that choice. And You provided a glorious option. And Lord, we thank You. We thank You for our Savior. We thank You for Your Holy Spirit that enlightens and illumines our minds. We thank You for Your Word that teaches and guides us. And Father, we pray tonight that You would be our guide through Your Word, by Your Spirit, to the glory of Your Son in our lives each and every day, Father. And we pray in His name. Amen. Romans chapter 8. We were in around verse uh, 26 and following last time. Let's uh, start reading there. Romans chapter 8, verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And we talked about uh, some about that last week, about the interceding uh, ministry of the Holy Spirit and, and how that works as we, uh, as we pray. The Holy Spirit intercedes for us, Paul says, according to the will of God. Now that, according to the will of God, we see that will come up in, uh, in Paul's epistles over and over again, and it leads us into the, uh, into the next several verses. Paul says in verse 28, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. For whom He did foreknow, He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom He did predestinate, them He also called. And whom He called, them He also justified. And whom He justified, them He also glorified. Let's stop there for now. So Paul says that uh, we don't know what we should pray for as we ought. And he's talking specifically about the, uh, the infirmities and the sufferings and the things that happen in this life, coming off the context of the uh, previous verses. He's talking about our suffering and particularly just our uh, groaning uh, within ourselves being a part of this sin-cursed creation. He's not necessarily talking about... Uh, the kinds of sufferings that he goes into when he begins to list his sufferings in service for Christ. The context is really more the everyday, uh, uh, again, groaning and travailing in pain as part of this creation. So he comes out of that and he says that the Spirit helps our infirmities because when it comes to those things, we don't know what we should pray for as we ought. We don't, we don't know uh, in one situation or another what is, uh, what is better or worse when it comes to external things. Now, understand, when it comes to spiritual things. This is, is not the case. Paul is very clear uh, when he prays about spiritual things. And he says when it comes to that, uh, Jesus Christ is not yea and nay. There's not, uh, there's not doubt, maybe this, maybe that. I don't know if this is God's will. Maybe that's God's will. Paul says all the promises of God in Christ are yea and amen. So when it comes to the spiritual things, we know what uh, the will of God is. We don't need to go around wondering what, what's God's plan for my life? What is God's will for my life? We know God's will for the body of Christ. And we're all uh, members of that bar body. So God has made known His will to us. It's in those external things that Paul's talking about in the context of this passage that we don't have light on. 
because that's not those externals those physical things are not the focus of this dispensation that we that we live in today so Paul says when it comes to those things uh, we don't know what we should pray for as we ought um, the word of God is not uh, is not addressing itself directly to the to the external uh, details of your life except where it relates to your Christian walk and how we ought to behave and 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 be with one another. So the Spirit makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered, and we compared that last week and contrasted that with the Holy Spirit uh, working in Acts chapter 2 when he uh, when they started speaking in tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And we saw that that's very different than groanings which cannot be uttered. And the uh, this is not talking about some kind of you know angelic language that the Holy Spirit... It's talking about a silent intercession of the Holy Spirit. God has to search our hearts, the verse says, in order to... Uh, in order to pick up that intercession. It's not an audible thing like speaking in tongues. And the Holy Spirit does that according to the will of God. Now, that will... Come over to... Hold your hand here. Come over to Ephesians in chapter 1. And let's take a look at that because the Apostle here, he starts out talking about the Holy Spirit kind of connecting our physical circumstances and in particular our sufferings to the will of God making intercession in that context according to the will of God now the will of God is not um, you know what's is, is it God's will for me to to cross the street in the middle or on the, at the corner was it God's will for me uh, to get sick the way I did? Was it God's will for me to have this uh, particular trial or tribulation? That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about the will of God as it is revealed in the Scriptures. Here in Ephesians uh, chapter 1, let's break in here to uh, verse 7, talking about uh, being accepted in the Beloved, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of His grace, wherein He hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us the mystery of His will, according to His good pleasure which He hath purposed in Himself. You see, now that verse says that God has made known to us what His will is. And in particular, in regard to the mystery. He's made known, He's abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us the mystery of His will. So we don't need to go around wondering what the will of God is. So, on the one hand, you have these external circumstances that happen in all of our lives. And we don't know the the outcomes and the and the direction uh, that those things ought to go to work out for the best. On the other hand, we have all wisdom and prudence when it comes to the will of God. So what that tells me is that those external things that we don't know about are are not uh, are not a direct result of what Paul is talking about when he talks about the will of God. So was it God's will that you know the safe should fall on my head? No. Was it God's will that it shouldn't? No. Because safes falling on my head are not uh, are not what God's will is about today. God's will has to do with something very specific. Having made known unto us the mystery of His will according to His good pleasure which He hath purposed in Himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times He might. Now this is it. What is the, the, the will of God? The mystery of His will. That in the dispensation of the fullness of times He might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in Him, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of Him who worketh all things after the counsel of His own will. 
Now we came to this passage because there's a, a concentration here of these terms that we come across in Romans chapter 8, and they're very much parallel passages. This uh, passage here in Ephesians 1, like Romans 8, is talking about the will of God. It's talking about the purpose of God. It's talking about our inheritance, just like Romans 8 was. And it's talking about uh, that word predestined comes up there. Back up in... Um, in verse 3, Paul says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. So there it is again. So when we, back in Romans 8, when we see that uh, the Holy Spirit makes intercession for us according to the will of God, and then Paul goes on and, and begins talking about uh, God's purpose, we understand that there is a connection. There's a connection when Paul talks about the will of God, the purpose of God, when he talks about predestination as he's going to, uh, as he did in those verses we just read in Romans chapter 8 and in Ephesians chapter 1. He's talking about something very specific. Uh, he's not talking about generalities. He says... Uh, he, verse 27 again, that searcheth the hearts, knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. So the Holy Spirit is taking us in the details of our lives, in all of these externals that we uh, move through as we live and move and have our being in this world, and he is applying those things in us toward the will of God, toward the purpose of God. The Holy Spirit makes intercession for us according to, in accord with, that will. Verse 28, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Now that verse, Romans 8.28, that's, uh, that's a favorite verse for a lot of folks, including myself. One of my uh, favorites, that's a great verse, isn't it? We know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. If you could just get that and just hang on to that and just repeat that to yourself uh, on a continual basis, you would never have reason to be anything less than absolutely joyful always and forever. Amen? The All things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is making intercession for us in the midst of all things. The all things he's talking about there, and we'll see what they are, are those external uh, sufferings, the things that, that come upon us in this life. You know, I heard a, a, a preacher talking about this verse, a, a prosperity preacher uh, years ago and he was saying we know that all things work together for good so he says now you can't misunderstand that verse it's, it doesn't it doesn't mean that all the bad things are working together for good it means all the good things are working together for good well you know we don't really we don't need a we don't really need a verse to tell us that do we now look let's jump jump ahead for a second and let's let's get this issue settled uh, look at verse look down at verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Those, that's the all things that the verse is talking about. It's not talking about all good things. It's talking about all things, good and bad and the focus is on the bad, or at least what we perceive as being bad. Those evil things, those bad things that come upon us. 
those things, all things, are working together for our good. Now, I need to stop here for a moment, and we're going to have to do this through the next few verses because there are errors that are taught in connection with these things. So unfortunately, we have to stop and deal with those. This verse, as much as it is the favorite verse for a lot of folks, is an often misquoted verse and misunderstood verse. Almost as, as often misquoted as, as uh, money is the root of all evil. You know that's not what the verse says, right? It's the love of money that's the root of all evil. And, but that verse is misquoted all the time. So is this one. And here's how it's misquoted. We know that God works all things together for good to them that love Him. Now that's what, how people take that verse. God is working all things together for good so that there's a reason that the safe fell on my head. God in His infinite wisdom knew that right then at that particular moment in my life, in the circumstances of my life, it was for my good for that safe to fall on my head. That's, that's how you take that verse when you misquote it that way, that God works all things together for good to them that love Him. That's not what the verse says. What the verse says is that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. It's not about God moving the circumstances of our life and arranging things and making me cross in the middle instead of at the corner so that I could run into so-and-so so that we could... All of, all of that kind of stuff. It's, if I cross in the middle instead of at the corner, number one, I'm jaywalking, I shouldn't be doing that, but never mind that, whoever I should happen to run into or not happen to run into, that works for good. Why? Because I can respond to whatever situation that life throws at me because the Holy Spirit, I'm, 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 I'm following the leading of the Holy Spirit. So that if a bad thing comes into my life, it's working to, uh, to, as, as death to my flesh and the renewal of my inner man. If a good thing comes into my life, it's working for my gratitude and my praise and, and all of that so that if we, number one, love God and are called according to His purpose, then all things work together for good for us. Those happenstance things. Solomon says that time and chance happens to all men. And for Christians, it's, that's no different. Things happen in life. And it's not necessarily uh, God making it happen, and it's not necessarily Satan making it happen. We just came out of uh, the passage there in, earlier in Romans 8 that says, look, this, we are in the midst of a sin-cursed creation that groans and travails in pain. And it's not just the, uh, the animals who have to spend their life looking around waiting for something to pounce on them while spending their whole life in, in, in bondage through the fear of death. It's us too. From the time we were little children, we were taught to look both ways before we crossed the street. Why? Because it's very likely that a, that a ton and a half hunk of metal on wheels is, is barreling through there ready to kill us if we don't. So that's how we live in this sin-cursed creation. Stuff happens. What Paul is saying here is that you and I, as Christians, as houses for the Holy Spirit moving according to the leading of the Holy Spirit, all of those things work for our good. They all work to, to do what? They work for our good. Verse 29, we're going to come back to verse 28. For whom He did foreknow, He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. The good that all things work toward is conforming us to the image of Christ. Paul says, I'm pressing toward the mark and I want to be... My, my goal, he tells the Philippians, is to be made conformable to Christ's death. If by any means I might attain unto the resurrection 
of the dead. So all of these things, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, sword, all of those things Paul saw as good. Why? Because they were all death to the flesh. It was all death to the flesh. And Paul says we have and had the sentence of death in ourselves. And though the outward man perish, the inward man is renewed day by day. Now, here's the caveat. Here's the secret. If your desire, if my will in life is to be comfortable and to have all the things that I want to have, i.e. that my flesh wants to have, and uh, not to have tribulation and not to have hard times and not to have trouble and not to have pain, if that's my goal in life, then this verse is going to be elusive for me. All things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. That's not just a, a general attitude of, boy, I love God. That's talking about actively actively pursuing like Paul, pressing toward the mark. Listen, if your goal in life is to be conformed to the image of Christ, then you're going to see how all things work together for your good because it's all moving us in that direction. Which brings us into the next verse. For whom he did foreknow he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. So, now we have this issue of, uh, of predestination. So, you and I are predestinated, that verse says. So the Calvinist takes that and, we're, and we've got to diverge again and, and talk about some misinterpretations. And says, see, now there are some people who are uh, chosen from before the foundation of the world to be saved. God handpicked you, 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 not you, 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 not you, you. And there are other people who are predestinated, handpicked before the foundation of the world uh, to be damned. And that's a, that's a Calvinistic uh, view of this issue of predestination. So that essentially you, you have no choice they talk about irresistible grace. That if you're one of the elect, you, you will be saved. You do not have a choice to resist the Holy Spirit. Uh, and if you are one of the reprobate, those who are elect to damnation, again, you have no choice. You, uh, you are not going to believe the gospel, and you're going to go to hell just like God uh, pre-wrote it before the foundation of the world. That's what predestination means to a Calvinist. Now, what predestination means in the Bible is something, again, uh, the word means simply what the word means. It's not hard to understand the idea of predestinate. You understand, you know what a destination is. Uh, we all came here tonight. We all left wherever we were with a, with a destination in mind. Well, what that means is that you were predestined to come here. That is, before you got to the destination, you knew what the destination was. And you headed for that destination. That's predestination. I've decided beforehand where I'm going to end up. Now, the difference between you and me is that for us, something can get in the way and, and, and gum up the works. For God, that doesn't happen. When He predestines something, it's going to reach the end that He, that he set. But that's all it means to, pre, to predestine. Now, whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son. Now, is the whom there the body of Christ, or is it each individual member of the body of Christ? The answer is yes. It is both those things. Let me give you an illustration of predestination that, that maybe will be helpful to you. You are standing on a shore, on the seashore, looking out into the ocean with a, with a multitude of people standing on the beach. 
in the harbor there's a ship. Now that ship is set to sail at a predetermined time to a predetermined destination. The captain of the ship knows exactly when that ship is going to leave and where it's going to go, where it's going to end up. So here you are on the shore. The captain of the ship comes out and he offers an invitation to everyone who's standing there on that shore. And he says, to all, to whosoever will, let them come and sail with me. Now, you have a choice to make as you stand on the shore. Am I going to get on the ship or am I going to stay here? Now, the captain adds a little incentive and he says, there's a storm coming, there's a tsunami coming, and it's going to wipe out everyone and everything standing on the shore. There's no, it's not going to miss. There's no chance that that's not going to happen. That land that you're standing on is predestined to a particular end. It's going to be destroyed. The ship is also predestined. It's predestined to sail, miss the storm, and get to its to its destination. So now you make a choice. I'm either going to stay. So right now, here's my situation. I'm on the shore. I'm predestined. Because this, because where I'm standing and everyone here is, is headed toward a certain end. Uh, so I am predestined right now to destruction. Now if I choose, I can get on that ship. Now once I get on the ship... I become predestined again, don't I? Because that ship is headed for a particular place. So once I get on the ship, now I'm headed for that particular place, and I have become predestined. And that's the key. When you came to Christ, when you believed, you became predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ. You were not predestined before you made that choice. Before you made that choice, you were in fact predestined, but not to glory. You were predestined to destruction. So does God predestine people to destruction? Yes. Does He predestine people to glory? Yes. Do people have a choice in the matter? Yes. So all of those things are true. And the... Uh, the will of the individual is not violated in any case because it's not the individual that, uh, that must reach a certain end. It's the, uh, it's the vehicle. It's the road. It's the, it's, it's the ship or the land. It's the choice that the person makes to stay in one predestined position or in another predestined position. So, you and I... Now, listen, the body of Christ is predestined. It is going uh, to end up in glory. Now, whether you or I became a member of it was up to us. So, is the body predestined or is the individual predestined? Both. The body is predestined and the individual becomes predestined when he becomes a member of the body. Come back again to Ephesians chapter 1 and let's look at that a little closer. I want us to look at this um, at verse 4 again and you want to notice where you were chosen. According as Ephesians 1.4 According as He hath chosen He the Father hath chosen us in Him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love. Now, where were you chosen? Number one, obviously, you were chosen, according as He hath chosen us, right? 
So we were chosen before the foundation of the world. But you want to notice that you were chosen in Christ from before the foundation of the world. Again, Christ is the elect. He's the chosen one. He is the predestined one. The body of Christ being a part of Him becomes predestined also. Each individual person, as they make the choice to accept and receive the grace of God, becomes a part of that body who is a part of Him and becomes a part of that predestined uh, entity that is the Lord Jesus Christ and the body of Christ. We are chosen from before the foundation of the world in Him. Look in... um, Look in 2 Timothy chapter 1. Whenever Paul talks about God acting from before the foundation of the world, this is what he's talking about. This will, this purpose, this predestinated plan of God that He foreknew, that He preordained. God knew what He was going to do. Listen, this is uh, an issue of the sovereignty of God. You talk about this stuff, and a Cal, you know, a Calvinist is real big into the sovereignty of God, and you don't believe in predestination, and you don't believe in God's sovereignty. And here's the thing when I was a Calvinist, I had no idea what the sovereignty of God was. I thought I knew. I thought that all the Arminians out there who didn't believe like I did had no idea, and they didn't revere God and His sovereignty the way I did. When I come to understand the, the, the truth of the word rightly divided and got out of that, uh, that system of belief, I came to understand something about what the sovereignty of God is all about. And it's not about uh, God being, uh, being the puppet master and controlling every leaf that falls and pulling every string uh, and making us do this, that, or the other thing. It's about God allowing people in the world and angels to, to, to act on its own free will even in rebellion against Him and still His purposes are accomplished. That's sovereignty. It's not... Listen, anybody can win the game if they're playing both sides of the board. That's how I used to see the sovereignty of God. God was sitting on both sides of the chessboard. And then it's to His glory when He wins. Well, anybody can win that way. It's when you've got an opponent who is absolutely free to choose whatever he or she may choose, and you still win every time. That's where the glory is, despite the opposition. Not because you are controlling it. The sovereignty of God is not uh, so, uh, so little as the Calvinist believes it is as I used to believe it is. Second Timothy chapter 1, verse 8, Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God, who hath saved us and called us with an holy calling. Now there's our calling. Uh, Romans 8 says, "...them he hath called, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace which was given us..." Where? "...in Christ Jesus before the world began." There it is again. The purpose of God, whenever Paul talks about that purpose of God that was uh, set out from before the foundation of the world, it's all in Christ because He's made known unto us the mystery of His will that in the dispensation of the fullness of times He would gather together in one all things in Him. In Christ. It's all about Christ. He's the elect one. He's the predestined one. He's the one that is, uh, that is headed for this glory that we've been reading about, and you and I are invited on board. So we get to be a part of that predestinated purpose by being in Christ, by getting on board the ship. It's back in Romans chapter 8. 
Now this issue of whom he did foreknow. Now you say, well, didn't God foreknow everybody? Was there ever anybody who lived that God didn't know about beforehand? No. God had foreknowledge of everyone, but He didn't foreknow everyone. Remember the Lord said, there are many going to come to Me at that day and say, Lord, Lord, in Thy name we've done many wonderful works and cast out devils and did miracles. And He's going to say, Department from Me, you that work iniquity, I never knew you. Does that mean Jesus didn't was not aware of their existence? No. It's just what he said. I didn't know you. There are some people who God uh, foreknew. Who are those people? Members of the body of Christ. Now, not just members of the body of Christ. Look in uh, over in chapter eleven, Romans chapter eleven. I say then, verse one: Hath God cast away His people? God forbid, for I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. God hath not cast away His people which He foreknew. And He goes on. So God foreknew Israel too. And the Lord said, there are some in Israel that I know and some that I don't. That's the same idea. So, Back in chapter 8, though, whom he did foreknow, he's talking about uh, those who, who responded to the call. Those who, uh, who were made accepted in the Beloved. Those who, uh, who were um, made worthy for God to take knowledge of. Whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate, prefixed our destination, to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Now you and I, as members of the body of Christ, are predestined to a particular end, and that end is to be conformed to the image of Christ. Now what he's talking about there is what we've been talking about, the adoption to wit the redemption of our body. What did he just say in, in uh, Ephesians uh, chapter 1? We just read. He hath, he hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, uh, predestinated us, chose us unto the adoption of children. That's what the this predestinated program is all about. That's what that choosing from before the foundation of the world is. That's our prefixed destination to be conformed to the image of Christ. It's talking. It's not talking about um, uh, walking around today uh, loving and doing good works. That's that's part of the practice as we live and, and walk this Christian life. But when it talks about being conformed to the image of His Son, He's talking about our glorification. Getting our glorified bodies. Taking on, remember we uh, looked at a few verses before, the manifestation of the sons of God. That's what He's talking about. When you and I are visibly manifest to be the sons of God. That is, when we're glorified when we get those glorified bodies, that's when we are conformed to the image of Christ. Now listen, not everyone is headed toward that end. Not every saved person is headed toward that end. You say, wait a minute, I thought you said all the members of the body of Christ are. All the members of the body of Christ are not all the saved people. There are different people in different dispensations who are destined to, to different places. Israel's going to be on earth. We're going to be in heaven. They're going to uh, have one function. We're going to have one function. All those things are going to be gathered together. All things in heaven and earth gathered together in Christ. But we are not, we, the family of God from Adam on down through the end, all predestined to the same end. God's got different purposes for, for all of us within his, within his kingdom. You and I are predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ. That, uh, that when creation is delivered into the glorious liberty of the children of God, that, that's what we're talking about here. So, we whom He did foreknow, He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of His Son, that he, that He, Christ, might be the firstborn among many brethren. 
So that's going to be the situation. Out there uh, in the future, the Lord Jesus Christ is going to be the firstborn among many brethren. That is, we're all glorified, conformed to the image of Christ. He is the firstborn. Now what does that mean? Come with me to uh, Colossians and chapter 1. Christ is the firstborn. People get, uh, people get hung up on that too, and we won't go all into that. He's the firstborn of every creature. Oh, well, that means He was, he was created. He's not the eternal God. He was, he's just the firstborn of all the creatures. No, we, you and I, we understand when the Bible talks about the firstborn, it's talking about a position. It's not necessarily talking about a chronology, although in the Lord's case, uh, it's a chronology too. But primarily it is that it's talking about the inheritance and the portion uh, and the preference of the firstborn, the preeminence of the firstborn. Colossians chapter 1, um, verse 14, parallel passage to Ephesians 1. In whom we have redemption through His blood, even the forgiveness of sins, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. What do you mean? For by Him were all things created, that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by Him and for Him, and He is before all things, and by Him all things consist. So that's what it means that He is the firstborn of every creature, simply that He is before all things and that He holds a position of preeminence above all things. That's what firstborn of every creature means. But He's the firstborn in another sense also. And, verse 18, He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things... He might have the preeminence. And that's what Paul's talking about in Romans chapter 8. When Christ is the firstborn of many brethren, He is the firstborn from the dead. Now, there have been people and were people before Christ who were raised from the dead. Lazarus, Christ raised from the dead. Jairus' daughter, some people in the Old Testament. Uh, Christ was not the first to rise from the dead, but He was the first born from the dead. And what we're talking about here is, again, that coming, coming out of death, being born out of death. You and I, the old man died, we, we learned back in chapter 6, to, so that we could walk again in newness of life. Not just uh, we, we were alive, then we died, now we're alive again, but the life that we came out of that tomb with is a new life. We were born, uh, spiritually born from the dead. Christ was physically born from the dead. He was the first to defeat death and to come out with a, a resurrection body, a glorified uh, body. Come back to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. People had been raised from the dead before. Christ is the first born from the dead. And he and and you and I are on our way to being conformed to the image of Christ that he might be the firstborn among many brethren, so that you and I can take part in that uh, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. That's what it's talking about, that new creature, that glorified Son of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, um, verse 20. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the firstfruits of them that slept. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. But every man in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, Afterward, they that are Christ at His coming. So the Lord Jesus Christ is the firstborn from the dead amongst a body 
a group, an assembly, a brotherhood of new creatures born from the dead, resurrected by the power of God and not only resurrected, back in Romans chapter 8, we'll close it up, but also glorified. Lazarus was resurrected. That is, he was dead and he re-erected. He was, went like that and then he went like that. That's re-erected. That's resurrected. The Lord Jesus Christ came out with a resurrection, a resurrected body. A new type of human being that had never existed before. A new creature. The firstborn of every creature, Paul says. You and I, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. You and I are on our way to being that uh, a partaker of that new being that is the body of Christ, with Christ at its head. That in all things he might have the preeminence. The Lord, see, when he started the body of Christ, Paul says, in him there's neither Jew nor Gentile, but there's one new man. There's a man like no man that ever existed before. A new type of being. A new creature. You ever think about that term, new creature? There was never a creature like it before. Unique the body of Christ. Back in Romans chapter 8, verse 29, For whom He did foreknow, He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. Again, notice, it's about Christ. Why are we being conformed to the image of His Son? Because God loves us? Yes. Because God's grace to us? Yes. But primarily, it's so that Christ can be the firstborn among many brethren. He's the focus. He's the purpose. Moreover, whom He did predestinate, them He also called. And whom He called, them He also justified. And whom He justified, them He also glorified. Now, how were you called? We don't have time. You were called by the Gospel. Paul says, I thank God to the Thessalonians who from the beginning hath chosen you to salvation. Oh, well, there you go. Hath chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth. Are you chosen to salvation? Yes, you're chosen to salvation. Through a means, through a decision that you made. That's the choice God made to give you a choice. That's how you were chosen through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth by whom uh, or whereunto He called you by our Gospel. The Gospel... The, I'm over time. The, the, an argument of the Calvinist is that, look, you and I, before we're saved, we were dead. Ephesians chapter 2. In trespasses and sins. Dead. Now, you can shout the gospel all day long at a dead person, and that, and that person is not going to respond. A dead person can't respond. He must have life infused first in order to respond to the gospel. That's the Calvinist argument. Therefore, God must act on some people to cause them to respond, and He just leaves other people in their death. But the fact of the matter is that you can't shout the gospel at a dead person all day long and not have them respond because the gospel is designed to speak to dead people. You and I were dead before we were saved and the gospel reached us. The gospel, the preaching of the cross is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes. It's the gospel that's the power to raise dead men to life. It's not about having a physically dead guy and kicking him and saying, look, see, he can't respond. Well, you're not God. 
God can cause dead people to respond, and He does, and He does it by the Gospel. He's called us by the Gospel. Now, some people, again, choose to respond, and some people do not choose to respond. And, and the same person who chooses not to at one time may well choose to at another time. There's a lot of variables there. That's the, the whole free will thing. But the, 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 the sovereignty of God is in the method that He has provided a way of salvation and a gospel that brings dead men to life. That's where the power of God is. It's not in the Holy Spirit uh, secretly slipping into one person and bypassing another by the sovereignty of His own will and causing this person to believe and, and that person to reject. That's not what the Bible teaches. We're called by God's grace. We're called by God's gospel. We're called by the life-giving power of the Word of God. And we are called to a destination. Listen, salvation, I'm done. Salvation is not a destination. Salvation, and this is, this is where the idea of, getting, of being predestinated to salvation, this is where they get it wrong. Salvation is not a destination. Salvation is the beginning of the road. There's a destination for saved people, for the elect, once you become one of the elect. And that de- salvation's not the end. Salvation's just the beginning. The destination is glory. The destination is being conformed to the image of Christ to be one of the manifest sons of God. That's the destination toward which God has predetermined that you and I are moving and where we will end up. By His grace, we're done. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank You. We thank You most of all that You did not leave this this plan in our hands. We thank You for giving us the choice. But Lord, having made that choice, we are grateful that it's You who is moving this purpose forward and has determined before the foundation of the world where this ship is headed. And Father, we, uh, we sail in this life trusting that, uh, that all the things that happen to us along the way only work for our good to mold and to chip and to sculpt to conform us to that image toward which we are headed. Father, I pray that we would be moving toward that same purpose ourselves, that we would be apprehending that for which we are also apprehended. And Lord, we thank You and praise You for apprehending us in the first place. In our Savior's name, Amen.